Thankful to be here with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to kind of stay there. Obviously, I'll I'll use other scripture, but uh, if you just stay there, you'll catch most of the stuff that we're going to be looking at this morning. I'm going to begin by reading a a larger section of the text, uh, and then as we go on, you'll, you'll see what I'm aiming to focus in on together. So Hebrews 2, 5 through 18. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified All have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death, He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day, for the sun that has risen once more, for your mercies being new each day, for our time to gather together, to sing your praises, to hear your word, to sit under the teaching of your word, to pray together, to fellowship. The body is such a sweet blessing, and and this day that you have ordained is such a sweet blessing. I pray that our time this morning is fruitful. I I pray, Lord, that uh, you would use it for our good and for your glory. It is because of Christ that we can pray. Amen. Church, there is so much to be seen here in these rich words of comfort and exaltation from God. We could speak of Christ's sacrifice, his incarnation, taking on flesh, his securing salvation for the elect, his ruling, his sovereignty and power, his standing over and against the angels, his victory over sin and death, his freeing those whom he saves from lifelong slavery, his faithfulness as our high priest and intercessor, his ability to help us who are tempted because he himself was tempted. Well, we could truly spend countless weeks just diving into these truths. 
There's so much richness in these words from God. As I was blessed to be able to teach in my last sermon on the mediation of Christ, uh, which will have a lot of connections to our focus this morning, I'm once again blessed to be able to teach on the suffering of our great Savior. And I do this in hopes that it will bring you who are suffering in this fallen world comfort and hope. It is my aim and my prayer that these truths found in God's blessed word to us will bring you great hope in whatever God has ordained for you in your life or in the future as long as God sees fit to give you more days. I want to focus in on the suffering of Christ and its implications for us. I want to begin by simply saying this, Christ suffered. Christian, when you suffer, it should bring you such a sweet hope that in this fallen world, We are not alone in our suffering. We suffer loss indeed in this fallen world, unless you are quite young, and if you are, I say, give it time, you will suffer in this world. We suffer when we lose those we love. It should not be this way, but with sin comes death, and so we suffer. We suffer many other things as well. How much comfort must it bring to our weary souls that our Savior and our Lord entered into this fallen world and suffered in ways that we cannot imagine so that He may be made a perfect Savior and redeem us unto a right and eternal relationship with God. Please take note that the suffering Christ experienced in the flesh was a suffering used to make Christ perfect through suffering. My question for you this morning is, Christian, are you suffering? Romans 5, 1-5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoiced in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See that we are made more holy through this reality, just as Christ in the flesh was perfected through his suffering. It was Christ Jesus' perfect obedience and sacrificial suffering death through which we as believers are saved. Christ suffered so that we do not have to experience ultimate, eternal suffering. He suffered first and foremost to glorify God, and secondly, so that he may pay our debt and rescue us from our own willing sinfulness because of his great love for us. This glorious truth should be a warm blanket for our souls in our suffering. If God saw fit to perfect Christ in the flesh through suffering, then let it remind you that God is at work in you through suffering. 1 Peter 5, 6-11 Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. 
Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. There uh, is a well-meaning phrase, church, that uh, many have shared with others in suffering. Um, They get this phrase from Scripture, but I believe it's wrongly applied. Scripture says that God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to resist, and that when you are tempted, He will provide a way for you to overcome that temptation. But temptation and suffering have some distinct differences. And so you've probably heard this phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle. When that's a phrase that is applied to suffering, I'm afraid that it is not correct. It's not biblical. I do believe that people mean well with this phrase. I don't think there's ill intent. But what happens when you are suffering in such a way where you feel like you cannot endure? Do you then believe that God has left you or abandoned you? God will give you more than you can handle. However, he will not give you more than he can handle. Our suffering is many times used to push us back to God in such a way that we cling to him for our lives. It is God's gracious, it is God's gracious way of reminding us that we are desperate for him. In our suffering, we must remember that we have a savior who is perfect. And God will never leave us nor forsake us. Our suffering oftentimes makes us humble. We are called in this passage to humble ourselves in our suffering, to fight with every fiber in our being, to honor the Lord, and to resist the devil. And here's the the key part of that passage that's so rich to consider. Church, God has promised and has the power to carry out his promise that when we do this humble clinging, he says, for after these sufferings, the God of all grace who has called us to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. Praise God, church. Know this today, Christian, God did not hesitate to pour, to pour out the full wrath, the entire cup of wrath due to us for our sin upon His Son. This is how Christ was perfected as our Savior through His suffering in the flesh. Christ is a perfect Savior, church. If God did not withhold this cup from His Son... If, if the Father was willing to even just pour one ounce of his wrath upon the Son, do you think he did not finish it and pour it all out upon him? Do you think that he left any remaining for you who are hidden in Christ? Of course not. If the Father was willing to pour one drop, he was clearly willing to pour it all. And Christ is a perfect Savior. It is finished 
was the cry of our suffering Savior at the cross. My, my point here is to draw you who are perhaps suffering back to hope. To remind you of the suffering of your Savior and to let it remind you that this suffering you experience now is momentary. And that even if you are suffering, you are secure in Christ Jesus, your Lord, Christian. He paid the ultimate suffering, and He is a perfect Savior. Therefore, there is now no more wrath, no eternal suffering for you and I who are in Christ Jesus. Before we continue, I, just, I have a few side notes that as I was preparing, I was kind of convicted. I just want to draw these out. These aren't the focus, but I thought they would be helpful to add in. We must remember that sin has consequences. And we may experience those consequences in the form of suffering due to our, our own sin, even as believers, right? We are not perfect. We still sin. Uh, we still rely upon the grace of Christ. Praise God. In those times when you are suffering from your own sin, the, the consequences of it, remind yourself that in Christ there is no condemnation. There are consequences, no condemnation. So the consequences will not destroy your soul. Second, repent of that sin. Fly to your Savior. He has paid for that sin with His own blood. Don't be afraid to fly to Him. Fly to Him and then ask Him, Lord, use this suffering for my growth, as He has promised that He would do. The second side note is in regards to obedience. There's many reasons for us as believers to strive in our obedience to God. I mean, first and foremost, it brings him glory. That's the very reason we were created, right? To, to glorify God. And so if he's the treasure of our heart, if he is who we love above all things, then we obviously would desire to obey him, to honor him. However, think about the reality that Christ suffered in your place. And let that stir you also to a desire for obedience. Obedience is not a begrudging submission because we are freed from the condemnation that our sin rightfully deserves through Christ's suffering. Therefore, we joyfully obey and we strive to do so because Jesus has taken our place. The consequences of sin and the, the desire to be obedient are not the primary focus of our time this morning. It just seemed fitting to add a few of those little details in as we continued on. I chose to preach on the suffering of Christ this morning because I do believe that it will be a blessing to many of you here in our body today. Now, I'm not trying to make it all gloomy. Like I, I know that not everyone is going through something heavy. The Lord has been really gracious to many of us, and many of us are in good seasons, joyful seasons. Praise God for that. There's nothing wrong with that. There's also nothing wrong with you if you are in a season of suffering, that suffering is a reality of a fallen world. We who are in Christ have been treated far better than we could ever have deserved. And so I truly hope that for those who are in a, in a good place, that, that are in a good season this morning, um, that this sermon will equip you to love those who aren't well and to prepare you well with truth for your future, if it be the case that the Lord bring suffering. 1 Corinthians 12, 12-26 reminds us that even if we are not ourselves suffering as individuals, we are called to suffer with the body of Christ when other individuals are suffering. 
1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 26. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? Where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts are treat, sorry, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. As an elder of this church, I am privileged to know that many here are suffering in various ways. I am not privileged because you are suffering. I am privileged because it is my joy to enter into your suffering with you. As we are called to mourn with those who mourn and to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. It's truly an honor to walk these things out with you all. Now that I've laid some foundation, let's look at our first passage of focus from Hebrews this morning. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Right off the bat, we see that the Scriptures declare that it was fitting, it was proper, it was right, that Christ Jesus would be the perfect Savior through the suffering He endured in the flesh. Why is this the case, church? Well, this is the case because sin. The Scriptures are clear that because of sin, death has come into this world, and the wages of sin is death. The cost of sin is death. Death obviously brings suffering. Genesis 2, 15-17 The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Romans six twenty three, For the wages of sin is death. Sin is the very reason we need a Savior. See, church, that for Christ to be the perfect Savior, He must have suffered and died in order to take the death that we deserve upon Himself so that we may be given the righteousness of Christ. 
It was fitting that God, for whom and by whom all things exist, should make the founder of our salvation perfect through suffering. It was fitting because sin is the very reason we have suffering and the very reason we need a Savior. Charles Spurgeon said it this way in a sermon for this passage. Uh, It's going to be a bit of a longer quote, so you can follow along with me as I read it. To begin then, first of all, with the joyous thought, so well known to you all, but so necessary still to be repeated, that the Lord Jesus is a perfect Savior. And as he was adapted in his nature, so beloved, it is very clear to us that he was also adapted by his experience. A physician should have some acquaintance with disease. How shall he know the remedy if he be ignorant of the disease? Our Savior knew all because he took our infirmities and he bore our sicknesses. He was tempted in all points just as we are. He looked not at sin from the distance of heaven, but he walked and lived in the midst of it. He did not pass hurriedly through the world as one might hastily walk through a hospital without clearly understanding the disease, but he lived his more than 30 years in the very center of it, seeing sin in all its shapes, yes, seeing sin in shapes that you and I have not yet seen. He saw it in demoniac forms, for hell was let loose for a season that the combat might be the more terrible and the victory the more glorious. He saw sin carried to its most aggravated extent when it crucified God himself and nailed Jesus, the heir of heaven, to the accursed tree. He understood the disease. He was no empiric relying on observation. He had studied the whole case through. Deceitful as the human heart is, Jesus knew it. Fickle as it is in the various appearances, ever-changing as it is in its constantly varying shapes, Christ knew and understood it all. His lifelong walking of the hospital of human nature had taught him the disease. He knew the subjects, too, upon whom to operate. He knew man and what was in man. Yes, better than most skilled surgeon can know by experiment, he knew by experience. He himself took our infirmities and bare our sorrows. He himself was the patient, himself the medicine. He took upon himself the nature of the race he came to save, And so every feeling made him perfect in his work. Every pain instructed him. Every throb of anguish made him wise and rendered him the more accomplished to work out the purposes of God in the bringing of the many sons unto glory. If you will add to his perfect experience his marvelous character, you will see how completely adapted he was to the work. For a Savior, we need one who is full of love, whose love will make make him firm to his purpose whose love will constrain him to couple together every power and talent that he has to the great work. We want one with zeal so flaming that it will eat him up, of courage so indomitable that he will face every adversary rather than forego his end. We want one, at the same time, who will blend with this brass of courage the gold of meekness and of gentleness. We want one who will be determined to deal fearlessly with his adversaries, who will put on zeal as a cloak and will deal tenderly and compassionately with the disease of sin-sick men, such an one we have in Christ. If I haven't convinced you to read Spurgeon, please uh, do it. So good. 
One of the ways Jesus was made a perfect Savior was by his taking on a human nature and subjecting his person through his human nature to the fallen world of sin and suffering. He did not just know it as God. As God, there's nothing he does not know. But he lowered himself, so to speak, by taking on a human nature and experiencing or subjecting that human nature to it. This only added to the human nature of Christ a better understanding of sin and man's weaknesses, thus perfecting him to be a savior and a friend. If you are suffering in this life, you know how desperate you are for both of these. You need to know at the bottom of your soul that you have a Savior, that you are no longer under the condemnation, the just condemnation of God for your sin. You also need to know that your Savior cares for you, that He calls you friend, because so often in those dark places of suffering, you just feel buried under this loneliness, like you're the only one that's there. You are not alone, brother or sister in Christ. Your Savior knows suffering far more than you or I can comprehend, and He loves you, and He will never leave you. He calls you friend. Even though this next encouragement does not bear the same weight or comfort as the one your Savior must bring you, uh, permit me to say it still. You are not alone, brother or sister in Christ, in your suffering. God has made all believers one body through Christ. And so we, your brothers and sisters in Christ, are here to walk with you in these things. When you suffer, we suffer with you. When you are honored, we rejoice with you. We weep with those who weep. We celebrate with those who celebrate. Perhaps all we can offer you in your suffering is to share tears with you and to whisper, Christ has you. But nonetheless, we are here and we love you, and we care for you. It has been my experience for uh, one reason or another that when we are suffering, we also feel ashamed. Um, I'm not exactly certain to why this is in all of its aspects, but perhaps we feel a sense of guilt or a fear that what we are suffering is new or different. Maybe, Maybe we think it is unknown to others. But let me draw your attention, Christian, to another point in the passage from Hebrews. Hebrews 2.11 For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. This is why he, this is referring to Jesus, is not ashamed to call them brothers. Christian, you know that you are not holy in and of yourself. That's what makes us Christians. We know that. We know we're desperate for Christ. We only come to the Father through the Son. If the Son is not ashamed to call you brother, then why are we ashamed when we are drowning in certain suffering? It's not as though we should always be so joyous as to not suffer. Uh, As if we could kind of avoid suffering if we just muster up enough joy to somehow not suffer. We live in a fallen world. We will suffer. Now we can, when we remember the truths laid out in Scripture, we can have the joy of Christ in our suffering, even if it's just a glimpse in the darkness that we're dealing with. But what we must not do is hide in shame. What, what I mean is when, you, when sin, through suffering, tempts you to be ashamed 
because you're suffering. Christian, remember your Savior is not ashamed of you. He calls you brother. Since this is the case, let us not give ground to sin and its deceitfulness when we are suffering. Be quick to remind yourself of your union to God through Christ and that He is not ashamed of you. Be quick, too, to remind yourself that He has suffered in ways you cannot imagine. You are not alone. This suffering is not new to you alone. He knows it. Hebrews 2, 14-15 Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Christian, if suffering or sin uh, in suffering would have its way with you, if, if sin could but use you as a pawn to get to God, which is its ever-constant war, its battle, its desire to uh, be at enmity with God, then it would utterly destroy you. It's what it wants to do. Not because of you. Sin doesn't care about you. It's at war with God. Sin's aim is death, and suffering comes through sin. This is not always necessarily our own personal sin, but in a very general sense of sin being brought into creation, therefore suffering along with it. See that the suffering which made Christ Jesus perfect was a suffering that removed the enslavement of sin and the fear of death. Since we were flesh, Christ had to take on a human nature and partake of the same sufferings as we do, so that through his death he would destroy the one who has power over death. And I think this can be a a really key point to consider when you are suffering. Christ has defeated sin and death in your place, Christian. He did this through his ultimate suffering. This means that you and I have no fear in death, no fear of the devil. We don't have to give in to the deceitfulness of sin that says you should be ashamed No one else knows this. That's a lie. Christ knows it. He's not ashamed of you. We have faith in the one who has overcome sin and death in our place. When I said the aim of of suffering and sin, sin through suffering, are to make you feel hopeless and do what it might to try and stir this fear or this feeling of hopelessness, I say that to remind you that in Christ, you have hope. If that is the only piece of cloth that you can cling to in your suffering, then like the woman who suffered from bleeding had reached for Christ's garment, then reach for it. Do the same. See the example. I cling to it. I have an unwavering confidence that it will prove over and over again Jesus is a perfect Savior. Beyond that, we see as we continue in Hebrews that this suffering was not only used to make Christ perfect in the flesh, but it also makes him a sympathetic Savior. Hebrews 2, 16-18. For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. 
to uh, borrow the illustration from the quote that I gave you from Spurgeon earlier, it, it must bring us comfort, and it is clearly meant from the text to do so, that we not only have a perfect Savior, but that we have a merciful and faithful high priest who understands our suffering. He's merciful in his intercession on our behalf as our Savior and our mediator. He is merciful because of his character and because of his acquaintedness with human frailty and suffering. It's the doctor who's had the illness, experienced the surgery, who is now walking you through all the things and remembers from his own suffering when to use cautious care with his scalpel. Oh, indeed, it is a sweet blessing to have a skilled surgeon when you need one, right? But how much more comfort would it bring you to know that the one who is operating on you knows what you're going through because he's been operated on himself. He knows the suffering and he's been the one doing the surgery. Christ Jesus knows our weakness and suffering because he has experienced it himself. Let this reality, church, stir your hearts to raise your head in the midst of dark suffering, if only to gaze upon your Savior in that suffering. If you are suffering, you have a faithful and merciful high priest who's well acquainted with your suffering, and he loves you enough to have taken the full cup of the wrath of God upon himself in your place. He did this so he can stand between you and God. Take note, church, that the last verse is very specific. Christ suffered when tempted, but never suffered from personal sin, right? He had no personal sin that could cause suffering. Now, for clarity's sake, Christ did suffer from sin at the cross. The sin of his beloved brothers and sisters. The sin of those whom he came to die for. His friends, the ones for whom he laid down his life. Their sin, our sin, Christian, was poured upon Christ that he may answer for it under the wrath of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Beloved brother or sister in Christ, Jesus knows what the suffering of sin is like. He bore, he bore the full weight of all of our sin at the same time on our behalf. If those whom he saves are like the sand of the sea, then he bore the full wrath for each grain at once. He knows suffering. He's not distant or unfamiliar with the sting of the suffering. In fact, he has tasted what none of us will in his suffering. His acquaintance with suffering goes beyond our comprehension. And so let this remind you, Christian, in your suffering, if Christ Jesus bore every ounce of wrath of God due to you in your place, would he now let suffering destroy you? Would he let it utterly remove you from him? No. He took our place so that we may have his righteousness. He came that we may have life and have it fully. Now, perhaps the suffering you experience in this life will bring you to the end of your life. We know many who have gone to the Lord while suffering greatly. What that suffering cannot and will not do is remove you from Christ. If your life ends 
from suffering, Christian, to die is gain. God is sovereign over these things, and He has numbered our days. But while He has given us another day, we must be reminded that He has a purpose and has proven to be trustworthy, if in nothing more than through the suffering of His own Son on our behalf. Verse 18 of Hebrews reminds us that Christ is able to help us in our temptation and the suffering of temptation. Because Christ suffered when tempted, He is able to help those who are being tempted. O church, let this raise your weary head from the pit of your suffering. See your Savior high and lifted up. See Him sitting on the throne, church. See His scars. Know that He has suffered the wrath that we could not in our place so that we would have the righteousness of Christ. Because of this, nothing can remove us from our standing with God. We stand in Christ alone. In this life, there will be suffering. It's part of what it means to live in a fallen world. And and Christian, you are right in your thinking that it ought not to be this way. Prior to sin, there was no suffering. In the garden, the word suffer never appeared. Not until sin entered. When it feels heavy to lose a loved one, that's a proper response. We were made for more than death. But we must remember that Adam was our perfect representative. He did what we would have done if we were in the garden. Adam sinned and brought sin and death to the world. Sorry, sin brought with it death, enslavement, and suffering. The better Adam, known as Christ Jesus, entered into the world and remained sinless. He did this so that he could be made sin on our behalf and bear the full wrath of God, that bitter cup, the one which brought our Savior to suffer drops of blood as sweat in the garden. See, Christian, that God did not just step back and say, well, brought this upon yourself. I warned you. You did it anyways. Good luck. His eternal plan from the beginning, before he had ever made anything, his eternal plan was to send the Son to take on flesh, to enter into this suffering, to redeem us who were utterly undeserving enemies through the blood of His Son on our behalf. Christian, let these gospel truths stir your heart to hope once more in the darkness of your suffering. Brother and sister in Christ, remind those around you who are suffering of the hope they have in Christ. Again, if all that is is a simple whisper that Christ is enough, then do that. Weep with them. Enter into the suffering with them. Remind them that Christ is enough. Mourn with those who mourn. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Be the body church and come alongside those in their need and remind them of their Savior's victory. Before I wrap up and point out some key applications, I wanted to take a moment to speak to those here who have perhaps not bowed their knee to Christ as Lord. If you're here this morning, you have not turned from your sin, entrusted your life to Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior, then I have this charge for you. The Scripture is clear. You are dead in your sins, as we all once were. Do you think that you suffer in this life? I don't say this as a way to try to scare you into faith. It's not possible to do that. But I say this as a true reality. If you think you've tasted a single drop of suffering, it is nothing 
in comparison to the wrath of God that remains upon you while you remain in your sin. Do not effort to make it right by your own deeds. They are like filthy rags to God. The only option you have is to turn to Jesus. You must repent. You must turn from your sin and your desire to be in charge of your own life, your own God, and you must trust in Christ Jesus. Go to Him in faith. Believe upon His name and be saved. I so deeply long that none of you here would stand before God apart from Christ. I don't need to remind you or to convince you or to try and prove to you that you are a sinner or that you sin. You're well acquainted with it yourself. All I can do is cry out to you to turn from your sin and turn to Christ Jesus. And I can promise you if you do, you will find a perfect Savior. Church, pray for those who are lost and dead in their sin. Preach the gospel to those who are dying and are far off. It may be that God would grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they may be saved and believe as you and I are, as all who believe in Christ are. There is coming a day when every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth will kneel before Christ Jesus as Lord. And I pray that when you do, you will be found hidden in Christ, not sent to eternal suffering. In closing, I have some practical takeaways that uh, I kind of tried to flood throughout the sermon, but just wanted to draw out some clarity to each one of them. First, Christian, you have a perfect Savior. Let that remind you that there is no guilt, no condemnation remaining for you. The hardest suffering that you have in this life will not end you, so to speak, in your relationship with God and eternal, eternal life. And in fact, you will be rewarded with eternal joy in the presence of your Lord, who was and is and is to come. Christian, take heart, number two, in your suffering. Your Savior knows suffering far more than we can comprehend. It, just knowing that doesn't necessarily ease the weight of your suffering, but it will fill it with hope in Christ. And sometimes that's all you need. Number three, suffering is a part of life in a fallen world. We shouldn't be surprised when we suffer. <laughs> if our Savior suffered, then you can count on it that we too will at some point suffer. Remember to not be ashamed of this. Jesus proclaims your name as a brother to God. He does that in our place. He's not ashamed to call you brother, so take heart. Don't be deceived by the deceitfulness of sin. Number four, I, I don't say embrace your suffering as if it's pleasant or something to long for. Like, that's kind of morbid. Don't go home like, please bring me suffering, Lord. Don't. But I do say to see it as a part of life and to not fear it or allow it to deceive you into thinking that you are lesser or abandoned by God, right? God is working every detail of your life for your good and His glory, Christian. So trust Him in this. Consider the glory of the cross and the suffering of Christ, which provided your salvation, and know that God has a plan and a purpose in your suffering. 
Number five, if you find yourself in a good season, maybe it's been months or years since you've really dealt with some kind of weighty suffering. Well, consider how you might come along those who are around you, who need you. We need each other as God has designed us to be one body. It's not always suffering and mourning. It's also rejoicing. Right? We rejoice with those who rejoice. We weep with those who weep. We mourn with those who mourn. We celebrate with those who celebrate. As one body, it's all of those things. And so, church, be the body. You don't know when you're going to need a God-appointed medicine of a brother for your struggles. And so, be the body. Love others well. Mourn with them. Rejoice with them. Six, lastly, Christ suffered and through it was made perfect. You who are in Christ have nothing to fear in this life or the one to come. It is finished should be your battle cry, Christian. If you are suffering, God is growing you. He's not abandoned you. He's not left you. You are not hopeless. If all you can do in the darkest hours is to remember that Christ has you, then that's sufficient. I wanted to end our time with one more rather long quote from Spurgeon's sermon on this passage. Again, you can follow along with me. Oh, my brethren, what delight and transport will seize the minds of those who are redeemed. How will God be glorified then? Why, every wound of Christ will cause an everlasting song. As we shall circle his throne rejoicing, will not this be the very summit of all our harmony? You were slain and have redeemed us unto God by thy blood. We must not say what God could do or could not do. But it does seem to me that by no process of creation could he have ever made such blessings as we shall be when we are brought to heaven. For if he had made us perfect, yet then we should have stood through our own holiness. Or if he had forgiven us without an atonement, then we should never have seen his justice, nor his amazing love. But in heaven we shall be creatures who feel that we have everything but deserve nothing. Creatures that have been the objects of the most wonderful love, and therefore so mightily attached to our Lord that it would be impossible for a thousand Satans ever to lead us astray. Again, we shall be such servants as even the angels cannot be. For we shall feel under deeper obligation to God than even they. There but created happy, we shall be redeemed by the blood of God's dear Son. And I am sure, brethren, day without night we shall circle God's throne rejoicing, having more happiness than the angels, for they do not know what evil is, but we shall have known it to the full, and yet shall be perfectly free from it. They do not know what pain is, but we shall have known pain and grief and death, and yet shall be immortal. They do not know what it is to fall, but we shall look down to the depths of hell and remember that these were our portion. Oh, how we will sing, how we will chant his praise, and this, I say again, shall be the highest note, that we owe all to that bright one, that lamb in the midst of the throne. We will tell it over and over and over again and find it an inexhaustible theme for melodious joy and song that he became man, that he sweat great drops of blood, that he died, that he rose again. While the angels are singing hallelujah, 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 we will bid them stop the song for a moment while we say, He whom you so adore was once covered with bloody sweat.
As we cast our crowns at his feet, we will say, And he was once despised and rejected of men. Lifting up our eyes and saluting him as God over all, blessed forever, we will remember the reed, the sponge, the vinegar, and the nails. And as we come to him and have fellowship with him, and he shall lead us beside the living fountains of water, we will remember the black brook of Kedron of which he drank, and all the awful depths of the grave into which he descended. Amid all the splendors of heaven, we shall never forget the agony and misery and dishonor of earth. And even when they sing the loudest sonnets of God's love and power and grace, we will sing this after all and before all and above all, that Jesus, the Son of God, died for us. And this shall be our everlasting song. He loved us and gave himself for us. And we have washed our robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Let's pray, church. Father, there's no amount of words or ability to speak them that can share the thankfulness of your children for the sacrifice of your Son on our behalf. What great cost it was to you, greater than we can rightly understand now. But we look forward to the day where we sing the praise that the blood of the Lamb has saved us. Where we worship our Lord and Savior on the throne, face to face. Until that day, Lord, we pray that your Spirit would stir our hearts to remember your word, to remember the reality that Christ, our Lord, our Savior, suffered too. That he knows it. That he is a merciful and faithful intercessor, high priest on our behalf that we are not alone in it, that we are not hopeless in it, but that you have a plan, that you are growing us as you perfected him through suffering, and that we always have the hope of Christ. It is because of this hope, it is because of Christ that we can pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.